Welcome to PwC IFRS Talks, your source for all things IFRS. I'm your host, Rahaza Sheikh. In continuing with our theme on sustainability-related disclosure requirements, today's podcast focuses on the exposure drafts released for comment by EFRAC, the European Financial Reporting Advisory Group. The exposure drafts are often referred to as the ESRS, so European Sustainability Reporting Standards. And to talk us through the exposure drafts, I have Peter Flick, a partner in our accounting consulting services team, joining us today from PwC Germany. Welcome to IFRS Talks, Peter. Hello, everyone. So in total, there are 13 exposure drafts that have been published, which set the overall architecture of sustainability reporting under the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, the CSRD. And this covers the full range of sustainability matters, including environmental, social and governance. Peter, shall we perhaps begin by providing an overview of the new reporting standards or the proposed reporting standards? Yes, Rahaza, happy to do so. Well, the European Commission issued the CSRD and the proposal of the CSRD foresees the adoption of the ESRS specifying the information that undertakings are to report on sustainability matters. So that means there's a legal basis. Being in the scope of CSRD means applying the ESRS. And this also affects non-EU entities. The ESRS will impact many more entities than are reporting under current EU non-financial reporting requirements, the so-called NFRD, Non-Financial Reporting Directive, which is currently in place and has to be applied by the EU entities falling within the scope. The new ESRS includes certain non-EU entities and groups. And by requiring more entities to provide mandatory sustainability disclosures, the CSRD aims to drive changes in company behavior and bring sustainability reporting on par with financial reporting over time. So may I quote the European Council Minister for Economic Affairs, Finance and Industrial and Digital Sovereignty. It's Bruno Le Maire. He says, about months ago, European consumers will now be better informed about the impact of business on human rights and the environment. Greenwashing is over. And to give another example where the disclosure may drive behavior, one of the ESRS exposure drafts on biodiversity and ecosystem includes a requirement to disclose whether a company is committed to no net loss and net gain targets related to biodiversity by 2030 and 2050, respectively. And if there is no commitment, the companies have to explain why not. So this is an example of where disclosure may drive behavior. Companies may choose to make a commitment related to biodiversity to avoid having to disclose that they don't have one. Well, let's come back to the ESRS. We have certain ex exposure drafts on the table. There are two so-called cross-cutting standards and 11 topical standards. And as Rahaza already said, they are covering the whole ESG universe. It's environment, we have five exposure drafts. It's social, where we have four exposure drafts. And governance, having two exposure drafts. The required disclosures are comprehensive and they are covering a company's ESG strategy, targets, and progress. 
products and services, business relationships as well, incentive streams, and the whole value chain. And it's important to know that there are three layers of standards. There are the so-called sector agnostic standards. That means companies have to follow them irrespective of their business, of their industry. We have the so-called sector specific. They are not released now. And even non-standardized. That means undertakings have to reflect their unique situations and even have to add more disclosures than required by the 13 standards. Thanks, Peter. I think it's helpful just to have that overview to sort of put into perspective the, the changes that are being driven and you know how behavior might change going forward. So before we go into the detail of the reporting standards, you've briefly mentioned the scope. Kind of which entities are actually captured by the reporting standards? Yeah, talking about scope is always a, a good start. And uh, the scope is quite a large scope and it's enlarged in comparison to the current situation. And uh, let, let me try to, to summarize this. Um, all so-called large entities and all parents of large groups, regardless of any listing, are in the scope of the CSRD and so have to apply the ESIS. Large is defined by the EU accounting rules, the EU accounting directive. That means 20 million euro of total assets, 40 million turnover, and having more than 250 employees. And if two of the three criteria are met on two consecutive year ends, then the people, uh, the entity is deemed to be large and they are in scope of the CSRD. In addition, small and medium-sized entities, they are in the scope if they are listed in EU regulated market. But these rules apply also for subsidiaries of non-EU entities. And in addition, reporting would be required for a non-EU company at a global consolidated level on a later timeline if its consolidated net turnover revenue generated in the EU exceeds 150 million Euro for each of the last two consecutive financial years. And one of the following criteria are met. Criteria number one is one or more large subsidiaries in the EU or subsidiaries listed on an EU regulated exchange. It's the same as being on a standalone basis in the scope, as I said before. And the second criterion is and that's the important one because it's, it's quite new and we are not used to a concept like this. At least one branch, not a subsidiary, branch that generates revenue of 40 million euro or more in the preceding year. Then um, the, these large non-EU companies are in the scope of the CSRD, even with only having a branch, not a subsidiary. But even if companies without reporting obligations under the CSRD, they may be asked for information by customers, suppliers, investors, or especially lenders, because financial institutions have to report on sustainable finance uh, disclosure requirements. And so there, there may be a ask to companies to provide information, even if they are not within the scope of the CSRD and don't have to, to disclose um, under the ESIS. It's quite a wide-ranging scope there, and I particularly find it interesting, you know, the point that you emphasize around how, in some cases, even if it's a, 
a branch that's generating revenue that could even bring you into the scope of these reporting requirements. It's very interesting indeed. So let, let's move on to a brief overview of the the 13 <laughs> exposure drafts. So I understand, as you, as you mentioned previously, that effectively you have the two categories. You've got the cross-cutting standards and the topical standards. So if we begin with the cross-cutting standards, you know, what do they capture? Yes, um, the cross-cutting standards, they define the basic architecture for the future sustainability reporting in the EU as well as the general reporting principles and the transversal disclosures to be made by all undertakings in scope of the CSRD proposal. There are three reporting areas. They are number one, strategy, number two, implementation, and number three, performance measurement. This split or this structure is different to that what the ISSB proposes. The ISSB uh, uses the TCFD structure, and the TCFD structure is governance, strategy, risk management, metrics, and targets. There may be a reconciliation, but the structure as it is laid out in the exposure draft is, is different, and this may cause some problems for preparers. When we go to the two cross-cutting standards, there is the EDESIS-1, which is about general principles. And second, the ESRS2 is general strategy, governance, and materiality assessment disclosure requirements. They are transversal, they are cross-cutting as they are relevant for all sustainability matters. They are complemented by the topical standards, addressing the reporting areas two and three, being implementation and performance measurement with topic-specific disclosure requirements. And in addition, the topical standards refer back to ESRS2 by providing additional focused disclosure requirements and application guidance for reporting area one, which is strategy, from a topical standpoint. Furthermore, ED ESRS1 provides guidance on the application of the fundamental concept of the CSRD proposal for sustainability reporting. And these concepts are, and I think that's quite important, especially for people with the accounting background, it's about information quality. It's about double materiality, boundaries and value chain, time horizon, and sustainability due diligence. May I come back to information quality? Information quality is about relevant, faithful presentation, comparability, verifiability and understandability, some concepts which we are quite familiar from financial accounting. Well, ESIS 2 contains in total 22 disclosure requirements covering and providing a common context for all topical disclosure requirements. And when we are talking about topical disclosure requirements, we are talking about the three pillars, environment, social and governance, the whole ESG universe. And it should be noted that they are not rebuttable. So the requirements, the disclosure requirements contained in ESRS2 can't be rebutted. So the reporting entity has to make these disclosures. Thanks, Peter. I think that's helpful just to give us a bit of an overview on the, on the cross-cutting standards and what, what it entails. One of the key concepts you mentioned 
I guess from the CSRD, and it's a phrase we hear quite often when we're referring to the ESRS, is this concept of double materiality. And that's this two lens approach to materiality, which effectively considers the impact on the business and the impact of the business. Could you perhaps expand on this concept and explain why it's an area that's gathered so much interest? Yes, as you mentioned, Rahada, that's really a, a key concept and that's something which uh, causes a lot of discussion because it's a, it's a concept uh, people are not used to from a financial reporting perspective, where you always have the so-called single materiality. So talking about the, the financial effects and having two stakeholders, which are the investors, uh, equity and debt investors. Here, in the CSRD, we have this so-called double materiality concept. And as you already explained, there are two perspectives, an outside-in perspective, which is like the financial materiality. That means how the reporting entity is infected by the whole universe around them. And the so-called inside-out perspective, and that's the so-called impact perspective. And um, this is coming also, so back what I mentioned in, in the beginning, that the EU wants to somehow drive, drive behavior. And so EFRAC requires this as an obligation from CSRD. And in addition, also in our experience, there's an increasing number of investors. They are basing their decisions on wider impact as well as immediate implications for the enterprise value. And so this concept is, is quite, quite consistent, uh, what we, we are seeing in the market. And so we therefore believe that reporting based on double materiality will result in more decision usefulness information for investors, as well as the wide, wider stakeholders. But the assessment of impact materiality, as I said before, we, we really well understand it. But in terms of its objective, it raises many questions in terms of practical implementation. In particular, the definitions are very broad, whilst conceptually sound, and they could make completeness and reporting impossible to achieve because there is no, no boundary, it's no defined benchmark. So the impact of the company, and, and we are talking about impact on the environment and on people, and there may always be someone out there on the world uh, which is impacted. And so it's quite uh, difficult to distinguish whether such an impact uh, information is material or not. I think that's a really interesting point there is, you know, where do you stop? Where is the boundary? So I can understand why that might give rise to many questions in terms of how you might practically implement this, even though you can understand the concept of double materiality. Yeah, and maybe uh, may I add to that? You said that there are no boundaries, and we we just talk about um, materiality. Mm -hmm. But it's important to know that in terms of boundaries, um, the ESRS require information on the whole value chain, upstream and, and downstream, and this is without any boundaries as well. And these two together, having the double materiality um, concept and 
the, the value chain concept or the requirements to report on the whole value chain, that makes preparers really struggling how to fulfill all these disclosure requirements. Sure. So let, let's move on to the topical standards. So as, as we touched on previously, you know, this covers the, I guess, the, the wider concepts of environmental, social and governance related re uh, disclosure requirements. Now, I don't propose we go into to all of them, but one, I guess, is a similar theme that we've been running throughout this mini-series is climate disclosure requirements. So could you maybe perhaps expand a little bit on what the ESRS contains in relation to uh, climate specifically? Yes, for sure, I, I can do, um, but please allow me to, to make an, another comment. Um, when we are talking about climate, it definitely is, is one important part of the environment space and it's what the ISSB also issued it's what the SEC has some requirements on but in the ESRS um, when we are talking about environment uh, we have one standard on, on climate change but we also have an additional on pollution one on water and marine resources one on biodiversity and ecosystem and the fifth one of on circular economy so you see um, it's a it's a really large universe of, of topics covered and this um, goes hand in hand with a lot of disclosure requirements companies have to prepare but coming back to 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 your question rather to to climate so the proposed climate disclosure requirements in the exposure draft are based on the are based on the pillars of the TCFD framework. They are not using the pillars, as we said before. And the proposed disclosure requirements in the climate exposure draft include, amongst others, an analysis of the resiliency of a company's strategy and business model in response to climate-related risks, a scenario analysis to identify physical and transition risks over the short, medium, and long term, it's about the company's policies and action plan for climate change mitigation. That is, for example, limiting the increase in global average temperature as laid out in the so-called Paris Agreement on global warming. And adaption, um, which means adjusting to actual and expected climate change and its impact. It's about measurable climate-related targets including the greenhouse gas, the GHG emissions, reduction targets um, for the year 2025, and preferable every five years thereafter. But there needs to be at least target values included in the, in the disclosures for the years 2030 and 2050. The performance measures include, as we said before, greenhouse gas emissions are very important, the so-called scope one, scope two, and scope three greenhouse gas emissions, and the greenhouse gas emissions per unit of net revenues, the so-called greenhouse gas intensity. And there has also to be a reconciliation of amounts used to calculate metrics to amounts included in the financial statements, which is quite challenging again. Thanks, Peter. I think that's a helpful overview and a very important uh, point you made. It's not just climate. There, there are other areas that are impacted too within the environmental space. 
So I guess a question that I guess our, our listeners and preparers will be wondering is, you know, is third party assurance going to be required on these types of disclosures? Uh, yes, they are. Um, the CSRD imposes a mandatory assurance obligation for reported sustainability information. Um, it's starting with so-called limited assurance and expanding to, to reasonable assurance. Uh, you probably are well aware of this concept, um, but um, to, to highlight it, limited assurance is a negative form of assurance, stating that no matter has been identified by the auditor to conclude that the subject matter is materially misstated and reasonable assurance will require a more will require more extensive procedures including consideration of the company's internal control to be able to give this kind of positive assurance on the sustainability reporting who is going to to provide this assurance it's um, and there was a long discussion but it seems to be that the CSRD finally will allow the financial statement auditor to be able to provide this assurance. And this is also in the interest of the reporting company not to have to deal with two different assurance providers and to explain things twice as the sustainability information is included in the management report which has with the subject to the statutory auditor as well. And however, member states may allow a different auditor or an independent assurance service provider to provide assurance on the sustainability report, uh, reporting as long as accreditation is obtained as directed in the CSRD. And there has to be an oversize and quality requirements equivalent to those in place for financial statement auditors, um, like for example for us. Finally, Peter, what are the next steps for the exposure drafts? When is this likely to be applicable? Yes, they were issued um, with a two, 100 days common period timeline. The deadline is the 8th of, of August. Um, it's quite a formal process. It's a very detailed questionnaire and the answers have to, to be given on a, on a platform. But um, many people will also, and in addition to their formalized response, issue cover letters summarizing the, the key aspects. Then the draft ESRS will be um, presented to the European Commission by Q4, and it's a, it's a very tough timeline. So there is the deadline for the comments um, beginning of August, and then by November, um, EFRAC will pass them to the to European Commission and they are going to adopt them um, in June of next year. And this is quite a tough timeline because the first reporting requirements will start for the year 2024. So the reporting covers the year 2024 and uh, the report then will be issued in 2025 and there will be a phased in approach it depends whether you are already obliged to, to issue non-financial reporting under the NFRD and we have the, the non-EU entity. So it's a step-by-step -step approach, but the first reports we will see in the year 2025 covering the financial year 2024. So actually not too, too far away, really, considering the, the volume of disclosures that, that will be brought in scope with the ESRS. So... 
with that, Peter, I, I think I'd like to wrap up the podcast. I'd really like to thank you for your time. I appreciate that, you know, as we mentioned, the, the comment period and the deadline, I appreciate that you and the team are working through our response. So it's a very busy time for you. But I'm sure our listeners really valued your insights on, on what the ESRS contain. And I guess for further information, our listeners can also refer to the um, PwC's EU newsletter, which provides further detail on sustainability reporting from an EU perspective. These are released on a quarterly basis, but we do have special editions. So the, the most recent publication is the, the June edition, uh, which provides a summary of what you need to know about the FRAG's exposure drafts. And we'll include a link to this on the talking points that accompany this podcast. So with that, thank you, Peter, and thank you to our listeners. Tune in next time as I continue on my mini-series on sustainability-related disclosures and how this impacts or will impact financial reporting going forward. Until next time, happy accounting. The preceding programme was brought to you by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.